Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I'm so happy and grateful to have Jim Britt with us here today, who is an award-winning author of 13 best-selling books and numerous number one international bestsellers. Some of his many titles include Rings of Truth, Do This, Get Rich for Entrepreneurs, Unleashing Your Authentic Power, The Power of Letting Go, and Cracking the Rich Code. He's an internationally recognized business and life strategist who's highly sought after as a success strategist and keynote speaker for all audiences. As an entrepreneur, Jim has started 28 successful business ventures. He has served as a success strategist to over 300 corporations worldwide and was recently renamed as one of the world's top 50 speakers and top 20 success coaches. He was presented with the best of best award out of the top 100 contributors of all time to the direct selling industry. In the past 40 years, Jim has presented seminars throughout the world, sharing his success strategies and life enhancing realizations with over 4,000 audiences, totaling over 1.5 million people from all walks of life. Early in his speaking career, he was business partners with the late Jim Rohn for eight years, where Tony Robbins worked under Jim's direction for his first few years in the speaking business. In addition to his other ventures, he is currently working with Kevin Harrington from the TV show Shark Tank on a collaborative book series and PR marketing, branding, and lead generation strategy for coaches, speakers, and entrepreneurs. As a performance strategist, Jim leverages his skills and experience as one of the leading experts in peak performance, entrepreneurship, and personal empowerment to boost stellar results. He's pleased to work with small business entrepreneurs and anyone seeking to remove the blocks that stop their success in any area of their life. One of Jim's latest programs, Cracking the Rich Code, focuses on the subconscious programs, programs influencing one's financial success that keep most living a life of mediocrity. His Cracking the Rich Code four-month program is designed to change one's money programming to that of the wealthy. Jim, welcome and thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you, Jesse. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I, I've enjoyed our conversations thus far and I'm excited to dive in. And one thing that stands out to me right away in reading your intro there, 13 best-selling books. I find, I, I think I read it once, that amongst the five goals that most people share in their lifetime, it is to write one book or write a, you know, some sort of novel. And I know quite a few people in my industry who have talked about wanting to write their book. They see their book as that would be their big breakthrough to success. That would be the thing that would be the difference maker and really level them up in credibility. Yet I hear the same thing over and over again. Writing is so damn hard. It is so hard to sit down and get things out. I, and I'll sit down to write and then I get distracted. My first question to you this is, Jim, how in the world do you write 13 books? Is there a habit that you get into? Is there a strategy? Do you have a system that you go about that gets you into that writer mode? Well, it's, it's now 15 books. So I've written two <laughs> since March, uh, since our lockdown. So uh, uh, those two just just came out just uh, just uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, but yeah, you know, I, I never thought that I could write. Uh, my worst subject in high school was English. In fact, that was the reason I dropped out of high school because because of English, and and actually, people told told me for a long time, you'll never write a book, and I had always said, oh, I'm going to write a book one day, but I didn't know what I what. I didn't know what it entailed to sit down and write a book. And, and I put it off for a long time, uh, probably 10 years. And one day I just said, okay, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to write my story. 
of how I grew up, how I became successful, and and it's going to be in like a novel format, um, like a visionary novel. Um, so I sat down to start writing, and I I had no idea how to start. <laughs> <laughs> and and then I I kind of outlined the topics that I wanted to cover, and then I hired somebody to help me because. I didn't know how to write a story, you know, with different characters and things in it. I mean, it, it, it was a big challenge for me. So I hired somebody and we spent 14 months um, going back and forth. We spent about a month. Uh, she lived over in Hawaii. So I went over there for about a month and I talked and she typed. Hmm. And, and that's how the first one came about. And then we exchanged things back and forth, editing and making sure everything was right. And and it came out to be just a magical book. I mean, mm. it, I tell people it's the best book you will ever read. And once you read it, anything on personal development, you'll never have a need to read another one if you just apply this philosophy. It's so it is really just a great book. And, and I don't say that just because I wrote it. I say it because of the, the feedback I get from people reading it. But after that, I thought, you know, I think I can write a book myself. So I decided to write kind of the how-to version of the of the story, and in 30 days I had 330 pages. Wow! Uh, so I finished it in 30 days. Um, and most of my books, other than the first one and I think the fourth one, fourth one took me about six months because it was a story as well. Um, but every every other one is a month to three months, and I'll have it written. Um, and most of them are about 300 pages, 250 to 300 pages. So they're good sized books. Uh, but, you know, you outline a book, you decide what you're going to write about, what the main topic is. And then you go, okay, well, here's the, here's the 10 major topics I want to put in the book, chapter headings. And then under each chapter heading, you say, okay, here's a story I want to tell, or here's the points I want to make under there. It's kind of like designing a talk. Mm -hmm. You know, I get up in front of a group, you know, you, here's, three things I'm going to talk about. And here's three bullet points under each of the three things. And then you just start. And some people record by or write by recording first and then editing. I have one book that I did that way. It was a, a seminar that I did and it was a couple of days long. So I just recorded it and had it transcribed and edited and came out with a book. The first book that you said is, is the one that you wrote you talked and she typed. What was the title of that one? Rings of Truth. Rings of Truth. Yeah. Rings of Truth. I'll make sure I read it. I guarantee it's anybody that reads it. It's almost like, well, here, here's a, actually a, a comment I get back a lot. This book was written just for me. Mm. <laughs> so it really, you can't escape the book. I mean, it, it's got so much in it. It's just, uh, I'm so proud of how it came out. It's just uh, amazing. I'll order it as soon as we're done and then I'll add it to my, my December reading list. Yeah. So, okay. But I want to go to this uh, 330 pages in a month. And I hear you, you find your, your topic, your, your chapter headings, your outline, your points, your story. And if I'm doing the math correctly, that's ends up being 10, 11 pages a day. Do you yeah. have a, a ritual, a process that you engage in to stay focused on cranking out 10 pages a day? Well, 10 pages is about 3,000 words. Okay. Roughly. Maybe a, little, a few, few over, probably 10 or 11 pages, three, 
3,500 words. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I just get focused and uh, just start writing and I turn off my phone and I don't allow for interruptions. I, I love to ride on airplanes when I used to fly. Um, and, you know, I could fly across country and write a chapter. You know? Yeah. So it wasn't, uh, or in a hotel where it's quiet and I've got nothing to do. So I sit down and write a chapter. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just staying focused. And I don't know, may, it may take longer for some people. I, 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 don't, I don't know if I'm, you know, rare or, or, or a lot of people do the same thing. I, I don't know. It's just what I do. Uh, I, I write like a lot of articles. I've published also, uh, let's see, 16, 20, 21 collaborative books that I've published that I, that I have to write a chapter in each one of those. And, and usually one chapter about every month, you know, so I just sit down, it takes me three or four hours and I've got my chapter written. You know? hmm. so. Do you, do you enjoy the process of writing? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to do it all the time, but yeah, I do. Yeah. I'd like to, I've been thinking maybe about, about writing some more, more like novels. Uh, that's a big challenge, more of a challenge for me. How to book is not that difficult if, if I know the, the topic. So I don't do a lot of research. I don't quote other people. I just go from what I know in my, in yeah. my own head. So it's, it's a transcribing, like a, almost a mental download onto a piece of paper. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's just, I don't type real fast. I use two fingers. Mm. <laughs> and so I keep a notepad handy because I can't type as fast as I can think. So if I'm typing and I think of something that needs to go in there someplace, I'll jot a quick note and then come back to it. So. Just, uh, just the process I use. I feel like that's a book title in of itself, Jim, the, the two-finger typing approach to writing a bestseller. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I type probably 45 words a minute or so. I don't know. I'm pretty, I'm pretty quick with those two fingers. I just never bothered to, to learn any other way. <laughs> you had mentioned something in there about turning your phone off and it, it, it continues to amaze me on what a powerful success strategy that is to turn our phone off and silence that. And you and I in previous conversations have talked about how one of the challenges with people and you had run into this at a point in your career where people would leave your workshops and seminars and you'd get frustrated that they would walk away with all this great information, all these great resources. They'd have the exact system plan strategies they needed to get from where they were to where they wanted to be to accomplish their goals and realize their dreams. And then what would happen is they trip, stumble, fall back into an old habit and it really brought to your attention how addicted people become to habits and behaviors. I think that cell phone one is one that people don't, aren't even aware of how, just how addicted they are to that. I read something recently that said the average American looks at, looks at their phone, like actually picks up and just looks at it. Doesn't even mean it bum, bum, buzzes, beeps or anything. Anywhere from two to 400 times a day. And you think about, and when I hear two to 400 times a day, I think about, God, that is two to 400 times a day that you are breaking concentration. And then when you're bringing in this whole other field of research and decision fatigue, that's two to 400 times a day, you're making a decision to engage with your phone rather than to stay focused on whatever, whatever it is you're working on, which is essentially teaching you that, that what you're working on is not as important as whatever is going on over there which is inevitably a text message about some cat video that is on YouTube or something like that. 
So I want to just talk for a minute about that, about people being addicted to behaviors, addiction to habits. If you can expand on that a little bit and what has sure. your, how has that evolved your work in the last number of years? Well, and it, you're right about, uh, about phones. And one of my habits is that um, a good habit, I think, uh, I don't look at my phone a lot um, and I only do text and, and um, voice on there. I don't do emails. I don't, I don't have social media on my phone. And when I, when I finish up for the day, if it's five o'clock or six o'clock or four o'clock, whenever it is, I leave my phone on my desk and turn it off and, mm. and go to go over to my, my home. And so I don't, unless I've got a set appointment, um, I don't, I don't mess with my phone during the night or in the morning first thing. So uh, I don't let it run my life, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but you're right. I, I get the comment a lot from people. I'm, I'm just, I'm too, I'm so busy. I'm just so busy. And when you really pin it down, a lot of these people aren't successful, but yet they're busy trying to be successful. But when you look at what they're really doing, they're, they're, they're locked into these habit patterns that keep them busy, but is it really producing results or is it just busyness? Like you say, you know, scrolling through and looking at a, a cat video or something while it may be entertaining and that's okay. But if it's during business working hours, is that okay? Because it's a distraction. So what I discovered to get to your point, uh, what I discovered about, uh, I don't know, 37 years ago um, was I started looking at the habit patterns that we have as human beings, both positive and negative. And to address the point that you just made as to why people kind of go back into their, their what they were doing before and, and instead of what they plan to do and moving forward. Um, so the, the positive habit patterns would be hard to live without. Uh, they become second nature to us, like walking and talking and driving a vehicle or riding a bicycle, you know, things like that, that we don't, once we learn it, we don't think about it. We just go do it. We don't go get in our vehicle and say, well, how do you drive this thing? We already know. Uh, we got to be semi-conscious, but still we're doing things unconsciously that um, that's a habit. Well, on the other side of that, the negative side, we get locked into habit patterns and we don't know we're doing them. They're second nature to us. Whether it's a, a habit of doing certain things while you're talking or a habit of, um, well, I, I gave you the example, I believe, of the fellow that, um, that told me that he hadn't been able to pay his bills on time or fully for 25 years, each month for 25 years. And I asked him what he's going to do about that. And he said, well, I'm going to, I'm, I'm thinking about cutting my overhead. I said, well, there's nothing wrong with that. But I said, in about two, three months at the outside, you'll be back not being able to pay your bills on time each month. And he said, well, how do you know that? I said, because you're addicted to it. You've been doing it for 25 years. And what are you going to do to change? Either you're going to have to figure it out or somebody's going to have to walk you through how to figure it out. But I said, you are addicted to it. We all are addicted to certain things that we do that, that are less than positive. I mean, some of them are maybe not as negative, but some of them are. Procrastination is a good example. We get in the habit of that. I know people that who are, they're habitually late for, for appointments. Um, well, you, you wonder, well, can't they figure out just leave five minutes early instead of being five minutes late? Yeah. But it's a habit you get into. Yes. And so, uh, so what I did was I figured out a way to, 
to help people to break that addictive cycle. And it's a cycle you get into that's self-reinforcing. So it's a, it's almost like a self-created prison that we got into, but we didn't know we were creating it. It's being programmed into our subconscious through various experiences and repetition and emotional impact and things like that. So um, it's a cycle of having an experience, attaching a feeling to the experience. Then you start to think in those terms. Then you start to believe that that's the way your life is or your business is. And the more you believe that, the more you act upon that belief. And when you act upon something, you create a result. Well, that's a cycle that you get into because the result will be similar to the experience that you initially had unless you've mm -hmm. done something to break it. So it just keeps going through this cycle over and over and over. And every time you go through it and, and don't break free of it, um, you strengthen the cycle. So it gets to the point where you, you feel like you need motivation, you need to go to a seminar, you need to go get pumped up, you need to do something uh, to, to make yourself feel alive and, and ready to go attack the world again. And, and the reality is uh, you need to stop. <laughs> you need to stop and take a real hard look at what you're doing and, and ask yourself, is this action I'm taking moving me in the direction I want to go? So it, it's, it's breaking that cycle through what I call self-observation. You know, if you, if, you, if you find yourself, you know, picking up your phone and looking at it, ask yourself, is this taking me where I want to go? Why am I doing that? Is it a distraction? Is it something to relieve some stress that I have that maybe if I look at this for a minute or, you know, you see that somebody liked your post uh, on your email, do you run over there to see who liked it? Uh, does it really matter that much? Is it going to move you in the direction you want to go? So I'm just saying, be conscious, be, be more than self-aware, be self-observant. See, self-awareness is being aware that you have a, an issue. Let's say you're, you're broke. You can be aware that you're broke, but that doesn't do anything. You can be aware that you're depressed or suffering from anxiety, but self-observation takes it to the next level where you're looking at yourself. You're stopping and going, okay, here I am again um, at this fork in the road, which way should I go? Or here mm -hmm. I am again being angry. And as soon as you observe yourself, you've disconnected from that and weakened uh, the hold that you have on that, that habit pattern. Someone hears this, they're watching right now and they're aware, wow, you know, maybe it's just a phone thing that pops up to them and our social media and they're saying, gosh, like I am spending a lot of time on social media. I do look at my phone quite a bit and they start to engage in the process of self-observation. They really start to be more mindful and they, all of a sudden they catch themselves one day reaching for the phone, grabbing it, looking up. They realize they're going onto Twitter and, and then they ask themselves a question. They're like, I'm not really going on here to serve. What I'm really going on here to look at is what is going on politically or something like that so I can get fired up and angry. So that person who's doing the self-observation, they have that light bulb moment. They realize they're doing something. What would be or what could be an advisable next step for them to help them start to weaken that behavior, that pattern, or to start to build and strengthen a new one? You know, one of the things I did many years ago is I, for 30 days, 
I wrote down what I did for the last 15 minutes, all day long, 30 days. And I mean, if I was in a meeting, I didn't stop and write it down. But at the end of that hour meeting or two hour meeting, I write down, you know, this meeting eight times, you know, and, and it was the most eye opening thing ever to see where I was spending my time. It probably doubled my effectiveness just going through that process because you start to see the things that you do, the habits that you have, it's not moving you where, where you want to go. It's like a lot of people suffer from anxiety, um, and especially in today's world. And with anxiety, you feel like you want to speed up. You know, you want to get more done. So, but, but the reality is you need to stop. You need to stop for a moment, even if it's taking a walk around the building or around the block, disconnect from that anxiety. Hmm. And the answers you're looking for will come to you if, if you do that. Um, but I get people to look at how they feel. If, you know, if, if one of their, oh, I might just ask, you know, what, what is something that you feel that's holding you back in life or in business or financially or whatever it might be, you know, come, come up with something that, that you feel is holding you back. And then I'll ask them, how does that make you feel? When you focus on that, when you focus on the fact that you're not ahead financially, how does that make you feel? And I did that with the fellow for, that, uh, that hadn't been able to pay his bills for 25 years. And he said, it's frustrating. I said, well, do you like feeling frustrated? And he said, no. Hmm. I said, do you think that frustration helps you to accomplish being able to pay your bills on time? He said, well, no. I said, so you don't like it and you don't think it helps you. I said, can you see any reason to hang on to it that's not stressful or painful? I hang on to that frustration. He said, well, no. I said, so do you want to let it go? He says, yeah, I do. And I said, well, here's the next question, but don't answer it just yet. I said, are you willing to let it go? Are you truly willing to let it go? I said, because the next question I ask, you can no longer use as an excuse for not doing well in life. I said, so are you willing to let it go? He said, I think I am. And I said, are you really willing to let it go? <laughs> Finally, he said, yes. And I said, my last question is when? I said, because, you know, if you're filled up with frustration, you have no capacity to, to come up with the answers to changing what you want to change. Because the frustration is, it, you're full of it. You got to let it go. He said, well, it's not that easy to let go. And I said, well, here's my phone in my hand. Or here's a, here's a post-it note thing in my hand. And I probably a better example, because most people carry their phones in their hand all day long. I said, but I've got this in my hand, whatever it is. That doesn't mean I have to carry that with me for the rest of my life. That I could take and set that down. I said, letting go is that simple. It's laying it aside. It's not giving it any energy. It's understanding that frustration is not going to take you where you want to go. It's going to take you in the direction you are already in. And it's going mm. to keep you locked there until you can sit back and let go of the frustration.
or the anxiety or whatever it is. And, and a lot of things stem, well, I would say everything that's not working in our lives, emotionally and, and, and business even, uh, in result, is, is the need for acceptance or the need to be in control. So we do things based on those two needs. And if you can actually, I asked him this question too. I said, um, so your frustration, I said, is that a need for acceptance or a need to be in control? And he goes, well, I guess it would probably be a need to be in control. I said, so if you let go of the need to control an outcome, you've let go of your frustration. Mm -hmm. So it's really becoming more mindful and more self-observant. Um, it's like, yeah, you, you, you drive down the street, you see a sign that says right turn on red after stop. Would you consider just driving on through there and turning right without stopping and looking? Yeah, probably not. I mean, you might, might get away with it one time or maybe even two times, but eventually you're going to get run over. That's what happens in our life. You know, we pull up, there's a red light flashing, <laughs> frustration, anxiety. You say, okay, if I go, if I go on through it without stopping, it's disaster. If I stop first and ask myself, which direction do I want to go? Is this moving me in the direction I want to go or is it taking me away from it? Mm. And then take action. It just, it's amazing what it'll do. And I, I tell people, you know, I don't want you to believe me. Just try it, see what happens. And <laughs> you'll be amazed at the results. I've always found it so fascinating when, with doing work with people and when you start to hit the proverbial nail on the head of where the, the challenge, the issue, the obstacle, whatever we want to call it is. And prior to the problem presenting itself, they were adamant about wanting to change it. And then when it's presented, there's the, well, I think so. <laughs> you know, there's like, there's that little, it's like that lingering thing holding on. And I'm wondering, Jim, do you find that, is it because then when they're actually confronted with it, even though they're aware of how destructive or harmful it is and how much it's hindering them being successful, they also almost have this aha or eureka moment that they realize a piece of their identity has been built into that too. You're absolutely right. Uh, they get, they just get to the point that uh, that is their identity. And, and I've had people in workshops where they're literally afraid to let go. Hmm. They're afraid of what won't be there when they let go. You know, it's like one, one woman in a, in a workshop was, um, I'll never forget this one. It was so graphic and, and um, uh, profound what happened, but she, uh, she had been, beaten, uh, abused um, multiple times by seven different men. Three were husbands. I think four were live-in boyfriends. And each one of them was uh, physical, physically abusive. And when she got to the workshop, she had a black eye. She had a busted lip. Uh, she had bruised marks on her, uh, on her throat and on both wrists. And she had it covered up with makeup, but you could still see it. And about halfway through the first day, she shared uh, that, that she had been abused. And she said, I don't, I don't know what to do about it. She said, I, I just keep attracting the same, same type of people over and over and over. She said, in fact, the guy that I'm with now, she said, he told me this morning, he said, if you try to leave me, he said, I will kill you. 
And she mm -hmm. said, he meant it. And I said, well, let's, let's work on your issue, not his. And let's see where that goes. So we, uh, we worked on, we, we got it down to where I asked her was uh, her being abused and how she felt about it. Was it a need for approval or a need for control? And she mm -hmm. said, well, obviously it's a need for approval. I said, well, let's work on that. So we worked on it for about 30 minutes on let her letting go of her need for approval. And we get it, we get it down to the, down to the point where, uh, she brought up a lot of stuff. She brought up a lot of stuff about what happened in the past and what happened with each of her relationships, what happened prior to her relationships as a child. And, and you can see the whole pattern of how, how it got this way. Um, so, uh, I helped her let go of her need for approval right down to the point where I said, what do you feel now? And she said, well, I feel good inside. I said, okay, well, let's let go of the good feeling. She said, oh, no, I don't want to do that. I said, no, just trust me. I said, do you trust me? She said, yes, I do. I said, okay, just let go of the good feelings. So she took a deep breath and let go. And I said, what do you feel now? She said, kind of tingling inside. I said, okay, we'll leave it at that. And I said, so uh, thanks for sharing. And she said, well, you didn't tell me what to do when I go home. I said, don't do anything. Just go home and, and see what happens. And she said, okay. I said, don't worry about it. Don't think about it. Just go home, open the door, walk in, just like you normally would, except you've let go of all of this. So she came back the next day and she couldn't wait. As soon as we started the class, she just bolted up front. She said, I got to share. I got to share. She said, I went home last night and she said, I walked in the door and she said, I felt really good. She said, I walked in the door and I'm, and I'm expecting to see my boyfriend sitting in his, his recliner there drinking a beer, or he might say, hey, get me another beer. He said, he wasn't there. I figured he's in the kitchen getting his own beer. So she said, I'll go in the kitchen. He's not in the kitchen. She said, I figured he's passed out on the bed. So I go to the bedroom and he's not there. She said, suddenly the whole house felt different. And she said, I ran over and opened the closet door all of his clothes were gone and he left a note saying, I will never be back. Wow. And she said, why do you think he left? I said, well, up until today or yesterday, I said, you guys were a perfect match. I said, he needed somebody to abuse and you needed to be abused because you needed recognition and he needed control. So I said, that's how a relationship gets out of balance. One is controlling, one is submissive, and, and then it ends up in abuse. And I said, ultimately it breaks apart, but like yours has seven times. But she said, yeah, but I've attracted the same ones. I said, no, because you're still the same. But I said, once you let go of all of that, why do you think he left? I said, now you could, it, it could he could have left it because you let go. And she said, well, he might have left anyway. And I said, well, he might have. But I said, you know, connect the dots. You know, we're all connected energetically. He's only a few miles away. I said, did he feel the fact that you let go and no longer need him to abuse you? And and I, I stayed in touch with her for about probably three years after that. And uh, she's in a happy marriage, no abuse. Uh, so it's just stuff we carry around and what we focus on 
you know, we got, we all have stuff. I mean, stuff happened to us in the past, whether it being grow, growing up in poverty or abuse or abandonment or, you know, whatever it might be, losing money, break, breaking up in a relationship, a death. Um, it, it happened. But the key is not happening now. Mm. Um, and to, to really look at it that way and, and disconnect from it, let go of it. Yeah, you, you learn from the past, but you don't have to live there. It's not real unless you bring it into the future or into the present, I should say. And then it's real again. Jim, I want to be respectful. I feel like we're just barely even scratching the surface right now. And I want to be respectful of your time. So before I ask my final question, where can people find and connect with you? Uh, on my website, jimbritt.com. That's B-R-I-T-T, jimbritt.com. Or... One of my one of my new programs that I just launched online is Cracking the Rich Code. If you've got issues with money, uh, it's crackingtherichcode.com. So either place you can you can find me. Perfect, Jim. I thought maybe we might close for the last minute or two because I know some of this audience is again aspiring authors, would be authors. Maybe you could share with us a little bit about the project that you're the collaborative author program you're doing with Kevin Harrington. Oh, sure. And a little bit about that, because I think some people on here who are watching, listening would be uh, very much interested in that. Yeah, well, um, uh, Kevin Harrington, if you, a, lot of, a lot of people know Kevin. Most people do. If they don't, they know the TV show Shark Tank. So Kevin and I have been friends for uh, a lot of years, 14 years or so. And um, we were looking at a way to uh, help entrepreneurs, coaches, speakers, trainers, consultants, uh, especially those, but any type of entrepreneur, you know, the biggest problem we face today is how do you get exposure? How do you market yourself? Because it's such a, a sea of noise on, on the internet, you know, and, and you're competing for space. And if you don't have something that's gonna make you stand out, you just get lost um, in that space. So what we came up with was a book series it started out as a book, but we have some other components to go with it. It's a PR, marketing, branding, and lead generation system. Uh, because that's, if you're, if you're an entrepreneur, especially if you're a coach or a speaker, somebody dealing with the public like that, um, it's, it's really important to have PR, marketing, branding, and lead generation. So everybody needs that to one degree or another, depending on the type of business you're in or the type of product that you sell. Um, so it started with a, uh, a, a book and it's called Cracking the Rich Code. And we titled it that because people, if you ask people, um, what's, a, what's two most important areas of your life? And most people will say health and, and family. And, and it probably should be, but yet they spend most everybody spends about 80% of their waking hours focused on making money one way or the other, whether they have a job or whether they're an entrepreneur, they're focused on making money. And some people wake up in the middle of the night uh, for a couple of hours and can't go to sleep focused on making money. So the most important thing in people's lives must be making money, not health, because you, you talk to somebody that's out there working 12, 13 hours, 14 hours a day, and ask them how often they work out. Well, I don't really have time to work out. Hmm. So health is not important to them. Well, I don't have time to eat right, you know, or I can't afford to eat right. Um, so in uh, family, you know, if you're spending 14 hours a day working, you probably don't have much time to spend with the family either. So let's get the money out of the way. Uh, and 
So this, it's focused on helping people uh, to get exposure without having to spend a fortune uh, doing it. So the book is a collaborative effort. It's got 20 co-authors in each book. We're now on book number six uh, in the series. Um, and each co-author writes a 3,000 word chapter uh, about anything they want, as long as it has value for our readers, which are gonna be people aspiring to do better in their life, basically. So a, a big marketplace out there. Um, and um, they also get their picture and their bio and their contact info along with their chapter. So it becomes a, kind of a first step of lead generation. And then all of our books so far have become number one international bestsellers on Amazon. So that's another uh, branding tool that you could use as, as a co-author. And also uh, on the cover of the book, we do a different front cover for each of our co-authors. So it's got a picture of me on there as a top 20 success coach and top 50 speaker. Picture of Kevin Harrington and his notoriety of Shark Tank. Tony Robbins endorsed the series with us. So Tony's picture's on the front. And then right in the center of the book has a picture of the individual co-author on the hmm. cover. So they're branded on the cover of the book with three top coaches, speakers, entrepreneurs. And so uh, uh, again, another branding tool, a good calling card, a good credibility thing. If somebody's just starting out in business. Um, uh, so in fact, I just talked with a young woman in uh, India this morning and she's a coach and a speaker. And she just says, this is exactly what I've been looking for. I'm in all the way. She's all excited about it. So, uh, you know, she's been coaching for like six months and doing okay, but, uh, but still she's lost in that sea of sameness out there, you know? So, um, and then we've, uh, we've developed a, um, a membership site that connected to the book that's free and it's content driven. So our co-authors can post content on there with their link. And we feature about, I think, six or eight of the latest posts on the homepage. And so if somebody posted on there once a week with content, they'd be featured on the homepage pretty much all week. And our objective is that this year, this next year is to, is to have over 200,000 members on this uh, membership site. And Kevin and I, we, we, we're sure we can do that. We've got a lot of ways to drive traffic there. But what's also going to happen is that on the homepage, we feature one of our, our co-authors. It's got a big picture of them, and it says, Featured Entrepreneur, Learn More. And they click on the Learn More, it opens up into a sales page that we create for them. And based on what you want to sell, if you're coaching or speaking, then, you know, you have that right up and, and uh, pe people click on it because it's intriguing when somebody lands on the site that says featured entrepreneur, they're going to go, I wonder who, what this person's done, you know, mm -hmm. so they'll click on it. So it's a lead generator for them. And every time somebody lands on the site, it rotates to the next co-author and just keeps rotating. Um, so they get a lot of exposure on there and, you know, they can use that as their sales site if they want to and send people there. And it's like a third party endorsement as well. So it's a, it's a great program. And, uh, I, I keep getting, you know, feedback from people that's, that's in the books with us. And you, you sometimes wonder, is everybody getting a result? And all of a sudden you, you talk to somebody and they're going, oh, yeah, man. Uh, they just don't share it. They're just, uh, you know, it's been such a rewarding thing for so many people. So anyway, it's, uh, that's what we do. That's awesome. 
Thank you for sharing that. Everybody, yeah. my goodness, is this going to be an episode you want to rewatch and re-listen to? Jim walked us through some really fascinating things, talking about, first of all, habits and about the process of writing a bestseller and how he's able to write out, crank out a 330-page book in 30 days. And one of the key things that came up is really the habit of turning his phone off and disconnecting from it. And then that led to a really interesting conversation about how we form habits and behaviors that sabotage our success, about the amount of times we look at the phone or we allow ourselves to be distracted and the anecdote to the people who say, I'm so busy, I just can't. And when you actually start to break it down of what you're so busy about, you realize that so much of that busyness is really busyness that's busying you right out of the things that you need to do to be successful. Jim shared personally his own experiment of writing down every how he spent his last 15 minutes and doing that for 30 days and how eye-opening it was for him and able to trim away some of the proverbial fat of the stuff that wasn't serving him so he could really hone in and focus on the things that did the greatest service to him. He shared with us about his book that we all need to go and get, The Rings of Truth, and I'll be sure to order that right afterwards. And it's the quintessential must-read book of the personal development world, and it's going to be the one that really speaks to us and, and speaks to you and what you can do. And then we dove deeper into the habit formation piece, about how we can become so addicted to our habits, and it comes down to the difference between self observation and what we can really observe and notice when things start to come up and how important it is to stop and ask ourselves that important question. Is this that which I'm doing, the behavior that I'm doing or I'm about to do, is it truly serving me from what I want and getting what I want? And what an incredible conversation you can evolve from that and then actions that you can take to help you shift beyond that. And then Jim finished off by sharing about his venture with Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank Notoriety and the incredible opportunity they've created for entrepreneurs, authors, speakers, coaches, and other experts to get out there and co-brand themselves with folks like Jim, Kevin, and Tony Robbins, and really helping differentiate themselves from the noise. Because in a sea of many, you want to be the ones that stand out. And Jim continues to do that in his 40-plus year career of helping people stand out from the noise and set themselves apart on a path to success like few do. Jim, thank you so very much for sharing with us your time, your energy, your wisdom, and your heart today. This has been such a gift. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. You bet. We will see you next time, everybody, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to